OSL is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products for the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sectors. We currently have a busy event schedule and will be attending many conferences in the next few months and many of the regional study days. For a full list of where to meet us, please do get in touch. As well as our event schedule, we also have a busy product portfolio that has recently been updated to. This includes Sky Factory for state-of-the-art visual LED lighting. We have MyQA Ion and Ion RT from IBA for automated patient-specific QA for photon, electron and proton radiotherapy. And we also have MR Box from our AI suppliers at Therapanacea, allowing AI-powered MR-only workflows for a more consistent and high-quality planning pathway. For SGRT, we have a vast range of open-faced thermoplastic masks, as well as surface-guided compatible clear bolus from ClearSight, preventing any risk of interference between the skin surface and your SGRT solution. And as always, do not hesitate to get in touch to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable team. Our account and clinical specialists are from a radiotherapy and physics background, and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and the workflow of all of our products. Hello and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award winning therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. My name is Jane McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Norman Joel Camson. Hi everyone. So we're here at UKIO. We're so giddy to have our next guest in the pod box as, as one of our first early adopters of Rad Chat. Do you want to introduce yourself? So hi, I'm Dr. Jonathan John Matthews <laughs> and um, I'm Head of Allied Health Professions at NHSA. So a really fancy title. What do you do? <laughs> so since last time I spoke to you, I've changed roles. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, so yeah, so Head of Allied Health Profession, so still in the office of the Chief AHP Officer, and um, very much about strategy and policy. So the last time I spoke to you was about the strategy development. And as you know, it represents 200,000 AHPs, which include diagnostic and therapeutic radiographers. Um, and that strategy is our northern star now for everyone who lives in England. So our work is around um, enabling that and we also ensuring that that strategy is realised and all the components of the strategy as well. Do you enjoy what you do? I absolutely love it. If you had said to me at the start of my career that I was going to do strategy and policy, um, and even now when I say it, people say strategy and policy, I, <laughs> I, it's just absolutely immense. And I think what's really fantastic is that it, um, it leads into my academic background, my clinical background, my teaching background, my research background. So all those skills come together in a really, really unique way. Amazing. And in terms of your PhD, for anyone who maybe didn't see it on social media, <laughs> um, can you share a little bit about what it was and what that then led to? So um, my uh, professional doctorate, so oh, yeah, uh, yeah. No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> There's lots of doctorates available, other ones available other than PhD. So. Um, so my professional doctorate, uh, which yes, was probably the most anticipated doctorate in uh, radiography, because I used to blog about it very early on, and all um, how difficult actually it was really early on to, to do it. So yes, when I finished, you, you are correct, I may have had quite a lot of likes, and a lot of people sighing a breath of relief going, she's never going to tweet about that again. So yes, so my, um, my doctorate work was about healthcare curriculum design, specifically diagnostic radiography. And I looked at using a digital tool called crowdsourcing to ensure that we have really diverse people and voices helping us design the curriculum. Um, and it came from the concept of the first strategy, which is AHPs into action. 
and that used crowdsourcing. So I was really interested about how we could get people who may not, we might not engage with, to help us consider what we should have in a radiography curriculum. So I did that in Bristol. I had 100 people join that crowdsource, which doesn't sound like a lot, but we used to only have two people help us design a curriculum, <laughs> so 100. And of those 100, we mapped it to the demographics of people who lived in Bristol, and we found that we actually, the crowd, the 100 people, represented the demographics for that city. Um, and um, so, for instance, really proud to see someone from the travelling community engaged. Um, and then what we did was, once we had all their ideas, um, we themed them, and then we mapped it to the contemporary literature. So I have probably cited every, anyone who has ever written a piece about radiography education, you are cited in my, in my <laughs> And I, I mapped it all to that, and then we um, mapped to which ideas would go into the curriculum. And we found most of the ideas, if not all of them, ended up in the final curriculum. And that curriculum's been delivered at the moment. So probably another study will be to see when those students graduate, did the things actually stay in the curriculum. Yeah. It'd be really good one. So I did that in the city of Bristol, and then I found out that the next strategy was going to be crowdsourced. And um, I thought, I wouldn't normally have gone for clinical fellowships because I really hadn't seen a radiographer in that position. Yeah. Um, but I thought, ha, ah, they're asking to do crowdsource and I might just happen to have done a thesis in crowdsourcing. <laughs> so that was my pitch at the interview saying, you've never had a radiographer and I've learned loads from doing the smaller crowdsource. Let, let, let me do the big crowdsource. So yes, so that's how my thesis and my work align. For anyone who's listening, you might be thinking about research or going into strategy and policy. What would you say to them? So, uh, the first thing, don't look at me if you want a career trajectory because I'm quite opportunistic. I think the research, you know, I tell people a lot of times that I self-funded that doctor, yeah. and people, you know, I did try to get funding and I just couldn't. Um, uh, ironically, pre-COVID, crowdsourcing was quite a hard sell, yeah. and even my supervisors didn't want me to do crowdsourcing as my thesis, and I kind of convinced them. You know, you know what I'm like. <laughs> I convinced them. I said, look, do you want to come on this journey? Ethics was a bit of a nightmare, but the university kind of said, do you know what? We need to get into these spaces. COVID happens. Best thing when I go to Viva yeah. because I'm like, I've been using this digital tool, so it's been a really interesting space. I I also worked with the company Clever Together. Um, it's their platform. And they, um, they're really mature in what they do. Um, and you have to be careful with crowdsourcing because um, sometimes people will use AI to analyze the data, etc. but they analyze everything um, individually. So back to your question, Armin, because I've totally gone off <laughs> on that subject. So for me, research, um, unfortunately, it's probably something I've dabbled in rather than um, having had a structured career. But I really, the self-funded, people say that's quite a privilege to be able to self-fund, but I'm going to twist it around a bit. I suppose I self-funded most of my master's as well. Uh, when you broke it down over six and a half years, I think it worked out at £200 a month. And to me, that was, um, you know, it wasn't easy. I've got, you know, I've got a small child and, uh, you know, my husband, I'm saying, kind of can have some cash. But I've actually, career-wise, it's going to pay itself off. Um, and I felt so strongly about my ideas that I thought, I've got to make this happen. So yeah, so sorry now, and if you're looking for a, <laughs> if you're looking for a, some kind of blueprint, I'm probably not the best best radiographer to ask for I that. Think, I think you want to sell yourself a lot actually, <laughs> because what you do demonstrate is passion, motivation, resilience, and I certainly know just from personal experience and, and talking to colleagues that. If a supervisor said, oh, you know, I'm not sure about that, probably eight out of ten people would be like, oh, yeah, okay, then, yes, I'll change my idea, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of rethink that. Whereas, obviously, sticking to your guns and really petitioning for what you wanted to do has paid off. 
uh, definitely. And as I said, my super, uh, my supervisors. In fact, just a quick story. Um, so because it's a professional doctorate, and um, there's a reflective chapter, and that's why I just wanted to say about the correct. There's a really reflective component, and I put a reflective chapter in the end. I've spoken to lots of people with deep props, and I put. And my first supervisor said, "You need to take that chapter out." Yeah, it was six weeks before submission. A chapter he said, "I don't get it." And I had Leslie, Dr. Leslie Robinson was my external advisor, and she said, no, no, you need to leave it in. And I thought, oh my God, what to do? So I thought, you know, I love it. It's my favourite chapter. Yeah. Chapter 9 is my favourite, the last one. And I thought, you know, I'm going to stick it in. I'm just going to have to argue out at Fiverr. You know, that's what yeah, Fiverr is about, is about defending, but, but, not, but not being defensive. Yeah. And did they love it? Did they, they, they quiz they you on it? They loved it. They loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it paid off. Yeah. <laughs> so in your day-to-day job, What's coming next? You know, I'm thinking about people who are working in clinical. What are they going to see change in practice as a consequence of the work that you're doing at that strategic level? So currently, um, we're quite a very, very small team. And my work, actually, so we're doing quite a bit on paramedic. I do a lot on paramedic leadership, which is probably what you'd want to hear. But actually, what's been really interesting about the paramedic leadership is, is even though we have a huge amount of work on leadership and AHP leadership, as I, the person holding the pen, so I've been working with Professor Debs Harding, it's a piece of work I picked up halfway, it wasn't my work to start with, but as I wrote it, I thought, oh my gosh, I see radiography in here, I see how they work, I see the metrics that they use, and I thought, it might say the word paramedic, but I feel if radiographers were to read this, and um, so some of our work, it feels like, you know, I speak to people, I'm like, oh, I'm doing this with the ambulance service, or I'm doing this with paramedics, or I'm working with this profession, but actually, I really encourage people to go and look at the other professions because yeah. we actually we have quite similar challenges or we might be or we could have learning from another profession or other professions can learn from us as well. So so I might say paramedic leadership, that's the next probably big thing that's coming out. Uh, but as I wrote that I, I just thought, wow, there's so many strands that if a radiographer read this we could just change the word to radiographer. Yeah. 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 Amazing. It's interesting, isn't it? I think yeah. HP is the paramedic side of things, I'm looking at acute oncology, but they already do clinical examinations within their degree. We don't, obviously, you don't want to lose all the paramedics out on the street, but there's so much crossover of allied health professions and we should really be working a bit closer together, I think. Stronger together. Well, and of course, with um, HE now coming into NHS England, and they're, they're, so I sit in the medical director, and we have NHS uh, WT now, and they're going to be in NHS England. So actually NAM and that leans in, even though there's always been close working relationships, because um, Suzanne Rastrick does the chief, and Linda Hindle's one of her deputies, interim deputy Steve um, Tolan, and then we have another deputy is Beverly Harden. Um, so what we have, um, there's always been close links, but it's even closer now with that, that organisation coming and joining um, NHS England. And what's next for you? Just within your career, do you know yet? Are you you waiting for that next opportunity? I I went to um, a really great uh, presentation today about the Society of Radiographers uh, Education and Career Framework. And um, I sat there thinking, I don't I just thought, what's next? And I thought, I, ca- I can see past, you know, my next project, really. Yeah. So I have, my career is very much like that. You see something, I think someone described as something shiny. I say, <laughs> do you know what? I'll, 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 just, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. What's the, what's the worst? The worst is that you learn. That's the yeah. worst case scenario, isn't it? So um, I, I currently don't know. But I do like strategy and policy. Um, and I definitely like working in that allied health professions. But to this day, when people ask, what do you do? I say I'm a diagnostic radiographer. Yeah, but isn't that amazing that you say that? Yeah. Because it's the advocacy for the 
profession, inspiring futures. You know, it's something that we always say through RadChat, but you know, you, that should be the first thing. If you look at our business cards, if you look at our email signatures, irrespective of what we are doing, we always put therapeutic radiographers first. Brilliant. Always. So it is kind of promoting your profession and what you're doing, um, which I think is so, so important. Do you miss kind of academia, clinical? Is there anything that you kind of miss from, from times gone by? Oh, so, um, there's bits of every piece of the jigsaw. There's bits. So, for instance, I was saying to uh, any academic colleagues, I don't miss marking at this time of year. It's really <laughs> pressurised. It's where you get the, all those dissertations in and they've got to be turned around in lessons because of the programme boards. And Joe's uh, going, she's thinking, yeah, yeah, I might be living that at the moment. Um, so, I, I don't, you know, but then there's bits that I do do miss. So, what we've done, so some part of the way I've worked around that is I really miss working with learners, really miss. Yeah. So, we've been providing leadership placements. Um, at the office of the chief AHP officer. Um, I've had physiotherapy, speech language therapy, and I've had some diagnostic radio first. Um, and that's been, and for me, that's really lent into, you know, when you've got 10 years in academia, and the whole joy of that job is working with learners and them excelling, not to have that. Um, and we wanted to send a, Suzanne um, had a vision of, saying, you know, showing people that you might think you can't host a learner, but you can host a learner um, and yes, I have got that 10 years of experience, so I'm probably a bit more, can go into it a bit more easier. But um, no one, there is nowhere too specialised or, you know, in the system that can't plant on the coastal area. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much, and hopefully we'll get you back again when you have switched jobs, changed careers, got a new project. <laughs> Thank you.